Hey folks, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase and this is my podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pivot Point. We have an exciting show for you today. Thank you for tuning in. I truly am honored by all of the replies I hear from you, the feedback. For all of you who are listening to this show, you're the ones that make it worth it. I thoroughly enjoy doing the show, but I'm delighted to hear your feedback. And as always, feel free to reach out, pivotpoint at jsdbiasi.com. So, for most of you, when you hear this, there'll be a new president elected, sworn in to the United States, President Biden. As I say, this is not a political show, but I do want to acknowledge the major turn in the events here. And for me personally, I am wonderfully grateful. <laughs> I swear I thought our democracy was at its highest threat, at least in my lifetime. Uh, I've never seen anything so threatening to our democracy as, as what we just experienced in these past four years. So let's hope that things turn around, things get better for everybody and that uh, this administration can also get a handle on our economic crisis and the pandemic. The numbers here in LA are, well, they're pretty high, and they keep on rising. And uh, we're hoping that things start to level off soon. Um, but I got to tell you, it's a little scary just even going to the grocery store and just keeping up with the protocol. You know, I said at the beginning of this, of the podcast, of the show, you know, I used to say, wash your hands, don't touch your face. And, you know, now it's wash your hands, don't touch your face and wear a mask. So take care of yourself out there. Don't take any unnecessary risks. I know I'm not. Now, a little update on the project I've been working on. As you remember, I was telling you that we were entering into our final dub and we had two weeks this is the second week, so we're wrapping up soon, and we still don't have score. Now, this is no reflection on the composer. It's a reflection on the director who cannot decide on what, and I can't even give you a pronoun, this person wants. So, what do you do? Well, we're just going to do what we can. We'll do fixes on other things. And uh, we move forward. But it's something's afoot here. Something's going on. And most likely we're going to have to come back. Or maybe we don't. Hmm. You picking up what I'm laying down? It's just a possibility. Something in the back of my mind. And if you don't know, that's Okay. It will all come clear, I'm sure, in months to come. All right, enough of the mystery game here. Here we go. On with the show. Today's guest is Jet Sally. I met Jet working on Ninja Assassin. 
He was one of the two picture editors working on that show. The show was directed by James McTeague. James was the director of V for Vendetta. That's just to give you a little background on James. And Jed has gone on to work with James on the Netflix series Messiah. And he's also worked with James on the film called Breaking In. Now, Jed has also done a lot of work with the Wachowskis. And I'm not going to give you all of Jet's background and all of his credits, but I wanted to paint a little bit of a picture of where Jet is in his career today, in his journey. As I said, he's done a lot of work with the Wachowskis. He is currently working on a Wachowski project, of which I cannot mention now, but I have permission to put it in the social media ads. So you can look at that. He's done work with the Wachowskis on the Netflix series Sense8. He's worked with the Wachowskis on a show called Work in Progress. And my favorite thing that will be revealed, but I am going to say anyway, is that Jet got to work on Star Wars and work with George Lucas a lot. But my favorite thing is this. Jet is a Jedi. Yeah, I know you're listening, Jet. <laughs> Here's the thing. I know Jet's like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And I get it. But he has an action figure. And I want one. I've got to find one. Because I want the, the Jet Sally action figure in my studio. Because then I'll have Jet holding a lightsaber guarding me from evil Darth Vader. <sighs> that doesn't sound anything like Darth Vader, does it? All right, here we go with the show. Jet Sally and I chatting it up about his pivot points and his journey. Take it away, Jet. Joseph. <laughs> how are you, Jet? Good, how are you? Good. Good to see you, man. It's good to see you. You sound great. Thank you. You too. Where are you now? Are you still in the uh, Canary Islands? Canary Islands. Nice. How's everything going there? Good. Super productive. You know, I'm on the islands, but working. So yeah, I could be anywhere, I suppose. But good. I Everything's see. going really well. Really good. Good, good, good. I'm glad. And we we can't talk about what you what you're doing, correct? You know, no, I I don't want to. I, I mean, fine. some things are similar to other jobs, um, but yeah, I'd rather not talk. About That's that. totally fine. <laughs> just asking, just to make sure. <laughs> uh, I'm on vacation in the Canaries. I'm not working. Oh, the vacation! How is the vacation going? Can you tell I have a tan? I got a yeah. spotlight on my head. So your tan is amazing. <laughs> so now you've been in Berlin for a while too, is that right? Yeah, most of last year, except wow. um, when COVID was first becoming an issue, like March. Mm -hmm. Everybody got like you know sent home. So I went, oh wow, I was home for April and May, and mm -hmm. and then 
we picked up again and I went straight back to Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. And how is it there? I mean, I'm sure you're keeping up with the news here. It's pretty bad, especially in LA. It's like bad. Yeah. It's kind of depressing to hear. Um, I mean, on top of everything else politically back home, the news is just terrible. Um, Berlin and Germany was great for the longest time. Their COVID numbers were quite low. Um, life was relatively normal. We could still go to the gym. You could eat out. Mm. Um, but, you know, people get complacent and uh, their numbers started to climb and escalated. So they've, you, I don't know if you've heard, but they instituted a lockdown the beginning of November. Mm. So, you know, life changed. Um, yeah. And then it got more strict. So we came down here because, you know, COVID is not, you know, it's, it's everywhere. You can't escape it on the planet. Right. Um, but the numbers are quite low here. And so, yeah, we're, it's, a, it's a wait and see when Angela Merkel makes her next annou- announcement. If they keep pushing um, the lockdown, we may stay a little longer or we just go back yeah. to Berlin and, you know, we hunker down and, and do the thing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, uh, welcome to the show, my friend. I'm so glad you said yes. Did I, are we doing it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took a couple of askings if I remember, but I think it's great that you were able to hear some of the episodes and, and feel comfortable enough to come on the show. So yeah. thank you for that. You're welcome. They're fun. You're doing a great job. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, um, have and entertaining. It, it, well, I'm loving it. So I'm glad it's entertaining to others. <laughs> um, so you grew up where? Upstate New York, central New York, a small town called Waterville. Waterville. Okay. And you have a twin brother. I do. Whom I have never met, but I can, I guess, they're identical. So, I mean, you're identical. So I've met him, but not really. Well, you're speaking um, to him now. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Now, do you have any other siblings? Two older sisters. Two older sisters. Okay. Well, the question I'm most interested in is when you're growing up, when did you know you were drawn to the arts? Or was it just something that just kind of evolved? Like, tell me about that part of you growing up. Like, you know, other people... You know, they were like into movies when they were just little. They saw a movie and it really affected them. How was it for you? Yeah, Um, it was probably a little like that. But also growing up in such a small town, you know, the idea of working in the film or television business was absurd. It just, Mm. you know, it's not like growing up in L.A. where, Mm -hmm. you know, every other person is a writer or working in the business or whatever. Mm. Um, But I loved going to movies it was a way to you know escape it was fun you you know yeah. it was a cartoon or animation or whatever um so you know you do a lot of daydreaming it was something i was interested in for sure but you know probably the earliest pivot point which sort of pivoted in the wrong direction like oh. my guidance counselor i i wanted to go into something to me, film and television was the same. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't differentiate between the two. But it wasn't the kind of job that was 
reliable. You know, you couldn't guarantee a steady income. Um, My grades were good. So, you know, my guidance counselor convinced me to go into business. Oh, wow. Interesting. So what did you do? Well, I I went to Rochester Institute of Technology in business administration. Um, And, you know, it's it's not like I didn't enjoy it. I I like to learn. It was sort of interesting, but it it wasn't what I was interested in. Yeah. So after three years, I switched majors and it was easier for me to stay at RIT, even though they didn't have a film major, I could minor in film and major in photo illustration, which is what I did. Um, so I added an extra year onto my program. It probably mm-hmm. gave my mother a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> um, but it immediately changed things for me. I was more mm. interested in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had some great professors who inspired me in ways that didn't even have anything to do with film. You know, my art history teacher, I loved her. Um, mm-hmm. My animation professor was really great. And, you know, I came to L.A. thinking I wanted to do editing or animation. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, and So uh, you did that right after college? Yeah, so after college, I um, got my car and drove to L.A. Wow, so that, you, you just, that was it. You'd made that decision. Yeah, yeah, it was, there was a big but there, though. Like, <laughs> you know, you don't arrive in L.A. and go to work straight away. Um, no, <laughs> that's, that's not how it happens? Gosh. <laughs> now you're telling I me. I got the first job I applied for, you know, yeah, right. a big success. I got uh-huh. nominated for a... <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. So I got to L.A. and I actually didn't like it. I expected more of, you know, New York City, the East Coast, bigger cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the business was so locked up. You yeah. couldn't get in the union. When I first arrived, you could not get in the union. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was sending letters to everybody. And the head of post-production at Universal Studios responded to one of my letters and invited me in for an interview. But it had nothing to do with editing. Oh, really? It was in the days when, you know, a long time ago on your resume, maybe you still do, but you would list your hobbies or interests. Yes, yes, yes. And cemeteries was one of my (laughs) interests. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And he, he said... I wanted to meet face-to-face the guy that would put down cemeteries on his resume. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Well, it, you know, cemeteries are very fascinating. I don't know what it is for you, but I occasionally like to go and just read the headstones. Sure. I mean, that's yeah. part, like for me, well, you grew up in Boston, right? Yeah. So in New England, upstate New York, we had these beautiful, they're old cemeteries in the fall with the trees. So I would go running in college. I would go running in, you know, cemeteries. And Mm. anyway, it was just something I enjoyed. I think that was disappointing to him. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. That it wasn't <laughs> yeah. some, something a little crazy. He was expecting a ghost hunter or something. Darker, yeah. Um, but he did sort of lay out the reality that there was nothing he could do until I was in the union. Yeah. And, you know, so anyway, so um, I did what probably most other people do. Some people, I was a bad waiter, um, mm. but I'm very, very grateful for the time that I was a waiter because one of the regular customers that I had um, mentioned this independent director who was doing a film would I be interested? And I was like, yes, when? Yeah. When? yeah. So I went up to meet this guy. His name is Paul Leader. I love him to death. I think about him all the time. Mm. And I told him I wanted to, you know, get into editing. And he said, well, you know, I edit my own films. I write them, direct them, produce them, I edit them. And he goes, yeah, you can help me out, but I really need a, uh, he's going down the list of, you know, mm. I need a, a wardrobe person. And he said, if you do that for me, you can help me in, you know, editing. And I said, done, I'm there. So Great. my first film ever, I was a wardrobe supervisor, <laughs> <laughs> which was also fascinating. You know, I, I you know, learned... I was, you know, crazy about continuity and all that stuff with their wardrobe. And, but then I was his script supervisor on probably seven or eight other projects. Oh, and nice. that was incredibly important for me as an editor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he always said to me, like, if you want to learn about editing, learn about what the director does, be a script supervisor because you're, you are sitting right with the director. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so he helped me tremendously. I did a few shows with him. And then the 100-day thing came about, where if you worked 100 days on an uh -oh. union show, you could get in the union. So right, I was yeah. then I was able to get in the union. But this is years later. I sort of skipped ahead. When I told you I didn't like L.A., I left yeah. LA. Oh, did you? Yeah. So Where after about go? six months, a friend and I went to Paris. Uh -huh. So I was gone from LA for almost a year. Okay. But when I came back, I kind of knew what to expect. And yeah. I fell in love with it all over again. Or I, wow. the first time yeah. I fell in love with it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm but, still waiting for that to happen. <laughs> 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 um, so... Let's see. Oh, so I got the 100 days. Then I'm in the union, but it's still incredibly hard to get a job. Yeah. Like, I, I, I got a job over at Lorimar when they were over at Sony Studios. I can't even remember the name of the editor, but somebody who told somebody who told somebody who called me. I went in sure. and interviewed. They hired me as an apprentice. And then I got a call over the weekend from the editor apologizing, but the producer's oh. friends, nephew, somebody, you know, yeah. So uh, that, you I, know, I gotta, I, I can totally empathize with you uh, because that's how it was for me when I first came out to LA right after Berkeley. Uh, and it, it, you know, I, the scoring jobs were difficult to get and editing jobs were just as impossible because you couldn't get into the union. Right. The roster was closed. <laughs> there were like, 
you know, I, I, I remember getting the list of music editors on the roster and like three of them had already passed away. Uh, <laughs> a couple of them were retired and they still wouldn't do anything about it. And, you know, like you, I left. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that's you right. You did. Yeah. Yeah. So I can totally understand that frustration. And I had something very similar where I had a job and then I didn't have a job. Right. It's, it's kind of the worst feeling like, you know, somebody just sucker punched you and, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, we move, we move on, you know, yeah. looking and, um, well, how, when did you go to San Francisco? Weren't uh, you up there for a while? Yeah. So that's coming up actually. So what happened, I interviewed with Tina Hirsch, still a very mm -hmm. good friend of mine. She's a great editor. Um, but I didn't get the job. And all these low budget films I had done, you do everything. But, you know, she was doing a film for Disney and I was crushed. But almost on the same day, I met another editor, Stan Selfis, who they, they're both from New York, mm -hmm. who I still a very good friend of mine. Um, and I did the show with him. Mm -hmm. And that turned out to be such a great thing because... I wasn't ready to work on a big studio film. I still need, yeah. and the film I did with him was non-union, but it was a bigger project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So our sound crew on that film, I got along with really well. And on their next show, Ernest Scared Stupid, they invited me to Saul Zantz in Berkeley. And I was conforming all of the dialogue elements and sound effects elements for the mix. I was kind of between picture and sound. Sure, sure. And you remember, you know, you could have 26 dialogue tracks or whatever, and you have to perform yes, yeah. all of those tracks. Um, but over the course of a year, I was in Saul Zanz doing two other films. I cut sound effects on a film called Folks, and then I cut dialogue for David Lynch on Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. No kidding. Yeah, and that was surreal because I'm cutting David Bowie's dialogue. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm cutting David Bowie's dialogue. Right, yeah. So then I get a call from Tina Hirsch because a friend of mine is working with her. Mm -hmm. I came back home and it was my first big studio film for Disney called Captain Ron. And I loved it. Mm. I, loved, I was on the lot. It felt like, you know, things were happening. Yeah. And I was sort of ready for it. Um, and the post-supervisor, I mean, I worked my ass off. You know, yeah, there's nothing I wouldn't do for anybody, on, you know. Um, so they, she put me on a, a, a list. So if I was out of work, you know, the studio would do these things called double dailies. Did you ever hear of this? So, no, what's that? So if, if a film was shooting out of town... I would prep a set of dailies for the studio while the dailies were being prepped, you know, on location. For the director, yeah. I see. Um, and that would keep me going in between projects. You know, I could just call and... How um, fortunate, man. That's amazing. Extremely fortunate. I was very yeah. grateful. So then I did a few other shows for them. And the, the downside of always working, then it was in, you know, we were all in film. But the digital revolution was happening. 
Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, you know, was if you weren't working, you had time to, you know, take avid classes or lightworks classes. And yeah. I had very little time, but I took a lightworks class and um, Mike Stevenson, an editor I worked with a few times, was doing a film called Flubber for Disney. Oh, yeah. So sure. I, I went back to San Francisco again with him. I got along really well with the film first on that. I was the Lightworks. I was doing Lightworks on that show. And uh, tell me, what when you say doing Lightworks, you mean you were running so that what, software? What, yeah, Lightworks was another program, just like Avid. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And we ultimately had three editors. So we were in San Francisco shooting. There were two editors. I was the only person on Lightworks there. I uh, know there was another, uh, the other editor had a, a Lightworks assistant. Um, I got along really well with the film first there. Mm-hmm. But once mm-hmm. production was over, you know, um, she was a local, I think, in San Francisco. So she was done. Disney mm-hmm. sent Mike Stevenson and I to Chicago so we could sort of do a dog and pony show with John Hughes. He was producing. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that we were there for almost six months. <laughs> so That's a long to, show. <laughs> I had to come back home to LA to um, get a change of clothes, at least. <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway, that was a great show. So what happened after that show, the first assistant was working on the first episode of Star Wars, Phantom Menace. And they needed a they needed to replace their avid assistant. So this here is probably one of the also another big pivot point for yeah. me because um i had never done a show on the avid mm-hmm. but prior to that i did a pilot called felicity i don't know if you mm-hmm. remember that show i do abrams matt reeves and stan selfis who i mentioned before who gave me a break he was cutting the pilot and asked if i wanted to assist him on it that they were doing it on an avid. And I said, Stan, I would love to, but I've never worked on the avid. And he said, don't worry about it. You know, me. we'll, we'll figure, <laughs> it out. figure it out. Cause yeah. I'm not sure if he had worked on it before. So I took a crash course. I had the manual and, you know, pilots are tough because the schedules are short but I had a great time. And I love those guys. And in that short amount of time, you do everything dailies, prep for sound, prep for dub, blah, blah, blah. So I get a call that they're looking for an assistant. And they were flying people up to San Francisco. But I, because I didn't know the, I wasn't comfortable mm. having them fly me up there. It just, so anyway, I was, driving up with a friend of mine to visit a friend. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, I'll just drive myself up there and just come talk to you. There sure. has to be an interview just. So I drove up and I went to the ranch and met everyone um, mm-hmm. except George, who was, mm. it was his summer break. He was on a holiday. Um, so I met everybody. I liked everybody, but it was overwhelming. I mean, yeah, I bet, you know, there were, three or four avids. And this was the, you know, these were the days when it was early on, you had nine gig drives. They couldn't have the whole show online at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left and they had the guy that was there um, 
was sort of an interim between the assistant and whoever they hired. He was an avid tech, like an avid teacher, mm-hmm. who I think is now a, an, a, an assistant who works in the business. But um, So I came back home and Felicity had gotten picked up. The pilot was picked up. Okay. And of course, Stan, Matt, you know, JJ, they wanted me to you know, do this show. Um, and, you know, I'm talking to Keith about this. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I decided to just call, you know, this up there, this assistant, and turn it down because I'm just not mm. qualified. I can't, yeah, I, I'm not the kind of guy that can, you know, lie about my qualifications. I just. Sure. So I called up and I, you know, I was talking to her. I said, look, thank you so much. It was great to meet everybody, but I can't, I just can't do it. And she was like, Jet, no, everybody loved you. They signed off on you. You have to do this. I can't go back and tell them, you know, wow. we have to have a, yeah. you know, hire somebody else. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah. So I pivoted. I yeah. apologize. I told Stan, those guys that they totally understood, of course, that I was going to ask if they understood. That's they totally great. Understood. Um, and, and I just, I'll skip ahead and go back to this, but I went back and did another pilot with Stan and Matt Reeves called Gideon's Crossing. So there was, mm-hmm. you know, they were totally okay. So that's great. The, what I did and the smartest thing I did was I had the avid manual with me and I agreed to not put in any overtime, but when my workday was done, I read the manual cover to cover and worked on the app. So it took about two months. You know, I went through it once, I went through it again. And there's so much stuff in there that you would never use. Yeah. You know, but it was, took the second, you know, time to set in. And, um, it was good because I learned like the bones of the system and, mm-hmm. and that pro that first episode was tough because of, you know, the avid was so buggy. Like when I went in in the morning, there was a, a chain. I had to start up each avid oh, one yeah. after the other. It took almost an hour to get everybody up and running. And if it mm. crashed, you know, it was just, and then remembering what drives had to go online for what scenes it was, you know, it was a, it's complicated. So you were working as a first assistant or as a second assistant? First. At that point, I was called first avid because first we were avid. conforming film. And the first, that film assistant who brought me up there, she was the first film assistant. So, uh, so they were working and cutting on film, yeah. but backing it up on avid? We, we were working on avid, conforming oh. film for screening. Okay, got it. That's right. Yeah. So did they and they shot on film? Correct. And so they had to do a telecine thing to get it onto Avid. Yeah. We did shoot, okay. we did shoot some things digitally as a test for episode 2. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean I don't know a whole lot, but I do re- remember how he was pushing Lucas was pushing the envelope of technology as a- much as he could. Absolutely. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And how long did that project last for you? That was a little over a year, about a year for that one. 
Then I came home and worked on a show for that year. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure I wanted to go back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into it. It's one of those things where, you know, you meet somebody you're not sure you want to work with. But once I found out that they weren't going back, um, I was in because I wanted to. I love working with George. Absolutely yeah. loved work. I love Ben Burt. I loved, you know, our post supervisors. Yeah. Um, the- it's all, you know, the people we work with is really important. So I get it. You know, there are certain people that you go, oh, I'm not sure I want to do that job. Yeah. Because it, you know, if you're on a job for three, four months, and in your case, maybe a year, that's a long time to work with someone where it just is not life giving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's definitely understandable for that thing. Yeah. And that um, happened very often for me. I'll, I'll just say that. It didn't. It doesn't happen very often. That I've Yeah. No, I, I, I feel the same way. It's very rare that I find somebody that I can't yeah. somehow find a way to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, though, I know that you were, uh, and this is just some fun tidbits, but what what show did you have that clip on that you handed a lightsaber to someone? I forgot what episode that was. It was the second episode. So what, okay, so yeah. yeah, tell us. So you're you. So go ahead, you tell it. Yeah, um, <laughs> go on. Yeah. So much fun. Well, um, the way these things go, you know, in these films like this, you you go back to do pickups or whatever, and we were missing, you know, this little bit you know Anakin yeah. and Obi-Wan they're on a, a week with Padme and they don't have lightsabers and they're in the middle of this arena battle and so we went out to the baseball diamond at Skywalker Ranch uh-huh. and you know shot a little video of me and our PA throwing lightsabers towards the camera <laughs> 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 I love it, man. It's movie magic happening right there. <laughs> and, you know, we probably did that maybe, I don't know, a year into, I don't know, maybe four, eight months into it. But uh-huh. we have to shoot the real thing. And George convinced me to do it for real, because normally you would go out and get somebody else to like do the real sure. thing. Um I'm very camera shy, but now I'm glad I did it. It was really fun. I can yes. say that George Lucas directed me and yep. he was, you know, I, he was, I, I knew him so well by then. I was very comfortable around him. Um, being on the big stage was, you know, intimidating, sure. but I wasn't wearing my glasses, so I couldn't see anything. So, <laughs> so it's even better, right? Yeah. Nothing that, to get intimidated about. Go this way. Um, <laughs> And George was joking about, they came down, um, the head of the art department had three Jedis that they were discussing about who to make an action figure out of. But Uh the female one, because they didn't have that many female Jedis. Sure, sure. George promised me not to worry about it, that someday, you know, and they did. So that's how I became an action figure. And the name is Seth. (laughs) Seth Jet Jostle, if you're ever interested, you can look it up. I do. Say say it again. Seth Jet Jostle. Okay. All right. There we go. Yeah. All right, everybody. <laughs> do a Google search and you're going to find Jet. <laughs> Jet's like embarrassed now. <laughs> Jet action figure. I want to buy one. Have it in my studio. <laughs> <laughs>
You can get them sometimes on eBay. I think uh, they're... Yeah, right. <laughs> Are they a collector's item now? Huge. Are you a collector's Huge. item? Huge. Are you worth millions? <laughs> Priceless, Joseph. Priceless. Priceless. That's the word. I should have said that first. <laughs> Uh, um, that was well, so that ended and you came back to LA and you started doing, I met you doing, um, well, you were doing visual effects editing and you were also cutting. Correct. But you know, Joe, so, let me, let me, um, go back because there's an sure. interesting thing that happened out of all of the Star Wars projects between episode two and three. George was getting ready to do his director's cut of THX 1138. Yes. So um, I got invited to go back to do that cut with him. And it was probably one of the most exciting projects I had ever done because it was literally George and I working together. And my best friend, Cheryl Nardi, who is the, also a picture assistant, but she sort of focused on sound, whereas I focused on picture. And nobody would ever believe me, but on episode three of Star Wars, there were only two of us mm. in editorial. And then there were only two of us at the end after Roger Barton, a good friend of mine, an amazing editor, um, after he was done and I finished the show with George, um, it was just Cheryl and I, two people. And when you look at these credits on these shows now, there's like an army yeah. of assistants. Yes. Um, those shows were quite intimate. But anyway, on that THX 1138, that was shot in the late 60s. So before I start, George and I watched the film together. I made notes on all the areas he wanted to open up. Mm -hmm. Out of the vaults, they bought, brought out all of this film that was shot on it was called Technoscope or something. It was um, 35 millimeter film, but three perf. It was, so ILM had to reverse engineer how to scan that. Yeah. Put it in the Avid. The whole project was crazy interesting. It was, mm. so rebuilding all the dailies so they could scan it. I found pristine 16 millimeter film of, the holograms that show up in the film. So we got those rescanned so I could rebuild the, you know, the effects. Mm -hmm. It was quite fascinating. Okay, so that was that. It was just, it yeah. turned out to be a really great opportunity there as well. That's amazing. It, like, I, I and on, on the technical side, my brain's going, that must have been so fascinating. It was really, really, really fascinating. Really. And exciting. Yeah. It's like discover. it's like being on a, a hunt. Yeah. And finding this amazing footage. Yeah. Plus cutting Robert Duvall. He was younger than, you know, he was younger than I was from cutting. It was, it was surreal. Um, yeah. And if, you know, those of your listeners, if you haven't seen the director's cut, it's, it's quite amazing. It's a really, yeah. really good film. So Joseph, when I met you, I had worked with the Wachowskis on Speed Racer. That's, oh, that's how I met them. Okay. And, I and were was, you cutting or assist? Or I was the first or? assistant on that. Okay. Um, Roger Barton got me on that show because he was one of the editors. So after Speed Racer, they were getting ready to produce Ninja Assassin for James McTeague, mm -hmm. who was doing second unit on Speed Racer, which that show was 
huge and second unit was massive yep. it was equally you know almost as big as first unit um and to their credit they gave gian ganziano who was one of the visual effects editors they gave he and i you know the opportunity to cut that film together um mm. which was a huge pivot point and yeah. you know it's opened up you know, as you know now, incredible opportunities yes. for me. Um, mm-hmm. So I was in Berlin for Speed Racer, went back the following year for Ninja Assassin. <laughs> I keep yeah. going back to Berlin. Um, yeah. Well, Berlin's a great place, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's a it's a good second home. I mean, I, I consider it. Yeah. Home, just like I consider Chicago and San Francisco yeah. second homes. Um, mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And I got to meet you on Ninja Assassin. That's right. Yeah. That's the biggest pivot point in my whole career. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Had I only known all these years. It wasn't just a 360. It was a, you know, donuts. It was was amazing. Well, you know, Ninja Assassin, not only did I get to meet you um, and James and uh, a few other people like Ryan, um, but that's the film that Krista and I met on because of Ethan. I know. You know, Ethan Ethan Stoller. I hope you're listening, buddy. (laughs) But he was the one. We call him Ethan Harmony. (laughs) <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> so, um, well, tell me about, I mean, all right, I got a couple of questions as always. I know from Ninja Assassin, you continue to work with the Wachowskis and you, you ended up doing Sense8 and um, a few other projects. But what I'm curious about is some of the hurdles, some of the, some of the harder things, things that didn't work out. I mean, at the beginning of your career, I get that. And I think a lot of people, when they want to come and get in, they're like, how do I get in? It it just seems like there are no doors or windows to find your way. Yeah. But once you're in, what were some of the difficult situations that you found yourself or was it pretty smooth? I mean, how, how did it go for you? You know, that's it's hard to say because, you know, sometimes when you look back on things, they never seem quite as bad. Um, yeah. I will say I think I was pretty fortunate because I, I seem to always have work. And um, I was never – I don't want to say I wanted to take my time, but because I knew editing was a life – time career for me Mm -hmm. um i wanted to enjoy the ride and also Mm -hmm. take care of myself you know Mm -hmm. because i I knew a lot of people who were in a hurry and you know they either got stuck in you know not the non-union world or you know and i i knew that i would have rather worked on big shows protected myself you know Thankfully, we have a union, we have a pension, we have health care. Um, mm-hmm. And frankly, I, I love the work. So yeah. being a lead assistant or first assistant, you know, wasn't an issue for me. I mean, my editors mm-hmm. always trust me. They gave me stuff to cut. You know, I 
I always felt like I was part of the process. Um, the, the biggest hurdle, of course, is getting to actually sit in the editor's chair. Yeah. And you, you know what it's like when you're good at what you do and that's what people know you, for, know you for. It's hard to step out of that role. Um, and, you know, I have to give credit to, to George, to Lily and Lana mm-hmm. and James and all these directors who, you know, had faith and said, look, you can do it. We know you can. We've seen what you can do. Um, I know early on there were shows that I went up for that I wanted to get. Like, you know, even when I went back and I did the pilot on Gideon's Crossing, I was supposed to be one of three editors. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the last minute, they went to a two-editor rotation, and I was least experienced. So I didn't get the job. Mm. Um, you know, but, you know, it sounds stupid, but every time a door closes, one does open. And yeah. I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but there's always been there's always been something good around the corner, something yeah. still happening. Um, I, I'm not sorry about you know. Look, uh, my career has been molded by all the jobs that I didn't get, as well as all the ones that I did get, and. I, I'm as grateful to everybody who said no, um, mm. even though at the time I thought they were stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speak a little bit more to that. That's a really wonderful statement that you're grateful for for the jobs that you didn't get. Well, here's the thing. So, like, even if I go way back to when I was first getting in the business, I had to work in between film jobs. So. Like I said, I was not a good waiter. You know, I would go back and I'd, you know, find a job, I'd wait tables. But then I was also hooked up with a temp agency and they would send me, you know, you'd go, I had good typing skills. It was ironically, one of the most important classes I ever took in high school was typing. So, you know, I could type. And I remember, you know, I would get these weird jobs. People would do surveys and I would sit in a room you know, uh, analyzing survey paper, you know, uh, cards or whatever. And mm-hmm. one of my very last one, I worked at State Farm doing um, transcription on auto policies. And I celebrated my 30th birthday there. And I still, you know, so I was still going in between work, mm. but I wasn't sitting around waiting. It's so strange. The idea of filing for unemployment never occurred to me. <laughs> That mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I just you know, um, but my office manager, I still think of him, and the people mm-hmm. that I worked with there, they were a good group of people had nothing to do with the film business. Yeah. So, I don't know. You know, it rounded me out. Like I, um, I enjoyed the people that I met along mm-hmm. the way. Um, and then, after, but after that, it, it was slowly happening where, you know, I'd struggled for so long, I got really good at saving money. I would get a film job and then I didn't have to, you know, look for odd jobs. I could, you know, um, I could get by. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Do you think some of that from the business classes that you took as a major, did that help you? It definitely did. And, and also I'll say to, um, I mentioned him before, Paul Leader's credit, um, he owned apartment buildings or rental properties. Mm. And I think, you know, I have a few. So Paul yes. helped me buy my first little condo in Hollywood, which I still own today. Um, I'm nostalgic about it. I love it. And one of my best friends lives there now, but he, you know, he taught me that, you know, it's important to have other things. And, you know, maybe if you build a portfolio, you might not have to rely on, you know, just income from one source. Um, mm, mm-hmm. uh, no, I, 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 I really had a lot of respect for him. I was really interested in that statement about, I was just as grateful for the jobs I didn't get as the jobs I got. I think there's something really powerful about that because it reminds me of like when I first came to LA and banged my head against the wall for three years and, and left LA thinking it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I am never going to work in this business. It's and it was devastating. Yeah, I'm mean, just it, devastating. It, it, it's really easy to go there, and like I told you, I was 30, still doing odd yeah. jobs. So, but I kept. I always think about you know the tortoise and the hare. Yeah, I'm the tortoise. I'm mm-hmm. just. I'm working little by little by little, and it's slowly it's building and it's building and it's building. Yeah, and I'm very grateful about. You know, it's taken a long time, but I've I've met some amazing people, and yeah, um, it's funny because we always talk about the jobs that we did get, but I know there were you know a lot that I didn't get. I just can't remember the sure names of them. Um, but you know, it makes you pivot. You you uh, you go after another job or another. Yeah. Job. And, and I, I hope I try to do the same for friends. Now, when I hear of jobs, I'm always trying to recommend people mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard. This past year has been heartbreaking for many reasons, you know, because of COVID so many yeah. people have been, you know, put out of work, you know, in our business and all other businesses. It's yeah. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm working. So, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I feel the same way. I've had a few jobs to carry me during this time, and I get to work right from here. You know? And I get to listen to you every week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when I look at the map and I look at my, who's, you know, I can see there's a map that shows me where it doesn't get very specific, but I can see, oh, there's somebody in Germany listening. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've, oh, turned you, I've turned you on to my entire crew. My whole crew is... Oh, that's you know. fantastic. <laughs> that's great. Well, I hope they're going to listen to this one. <laughs> uh, and I was listening to you on the ferry between... Keith and I were on one of the other islands. And I was uh-huh. listening to you on the other island coming back yesterday morning. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. It's been a lot of fun to do this, man. And it's fascinating to hear the feedback from people um, because everybody's journey somehow there's an aspect of it that touches each one of us. Yeah. And, and that 
connection is what I absolutely love about this show. Yeah. I was going to say, I also love hearing stories from people that I've met through you, you know, uh-huh. Greg and Cindy. And I, you know, there's a couple others, but it's so nice for them to fill in the blanks. Um, yeah. Even listening to Kristen. Oh my yeah. God, that was one of the most fun. <laughs> but I feel like I, you know, I know you guys, but I, I still, you know, on your, your extras or whatever, I, I hear a little more about you that I didn't know. And mm. Kristen filled in some gaps for me. Mm-hmm. Um, both of you, it's, it's. Yeah, oh, okay. That's so cool, Jed. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Uh, so I know your time is, is uh, tight and I want to be respectful of that. Last question of the day is um, just thoughts or words for someone coming in now. What are your thoughts on it? It's so different from when we first started. How do you feel about it? Well, yeah. I mean, I'd like to say, I wish I could say, oh, it's going to be easier on you because there is so much content being made. You know, you can just walk out your door and a job will hit you in the face. Right. But I also know that that's not true. Um, I would say try not to get blinded by you know, the desire or the need to succeed today. Mm. You know, try to be patient. Um, What were the three Ps that one of my professors, patience, persistence, passion. If you didn't have all three, there was no way you would succeed. Mm. You might, you know, succeed for a little bit, but if you wanted to succeed over the long haul um, and to always make sure that your personal relationships come first mm. or, you know, at least in tandem with your work. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes there's so much pressure put on us. I mean, you know, uh, sure. you know, sometimes we're working crazy hours, seven day weeks. Um, it's easy to lose sight of, the other things that are important to your journey. Um, But that said, it's a, it's an incredibly rewarding profession. Mm -hmm. Um, Incredibly talented people in this business. I mean, look, I get to meet musicians and Mm -hmm. sound designers that are so creative and artists who do, you know, concept drawings for these big visual effects films and we're incredibly lucky so i would encourage anybody who's extremely passionate about it to just do it um Mm. and be prepared for the bumps and the pivots (laughs) yes yeah yeah excellent words my friend Jet, this was really great, man. It's great to see you. I'd love for us to, you know, a non-pivot point conversation when you have time. Maybe, you know, you and Keith and Kristen and I can just kind of... Absolutely. Keith is one of these shaking his head too, by the way. <laughs> great. Hey, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. And um, it's really great. And I look forward to the next time we get together. Thanks. Say hi to Kristen. I will. All right. See ya. Bye. What an amazing journey. You know, Jet, I love that he says, I'm grateful 
for the jobs that I didn't get because it shaped him. It shaped who he is today. And of course, at that moment, he's like, I thought they were jerks or he didn't like it. I get it. But in the process of the big picture, it's such a wonderful thing to look back on and say, yeah, I am grateful for those jobs I didn't get. And he mentions those three P's, right? The, the patience and the persistence and passion. So just keep in mind that as you're going through your journey, remember this, it's your journey. And you're going to make the best decisions you can make, given the circumstances. Don't compare. It's the thief of joy. All right, next week, I can't wait. Michael Stearns. He and I got to work together on Alpha. He's the composer of Baraka and Samsara. He's released a number of his own albums. He's known throughout the world. He's got a great story. Okay, until next week, remember, if he's doing it, why not you? <laughs>